Aaron Marino, welcome to the Button Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This is exciting. I, I'm just thrilled that I get to do something relatively normal uh, in today's crazy times. Yeah, so this is like for the for the log. This is April 2nd for reference for anybody that might be listening in the future here. We'll, we'll get this one up earlier than some of the rest. And we actually have a bunch of guests recorded from pre you know, the, the pre-crisis, but we do want to talk about where you're at today. I think I also, it, it's good to set the stage for people who might not know your whole, your whole story, give you kind of a, a quick rundown of how you went from being a Philly boy to one of the biggest men's YouTubers out there right now. Very cool. Uh, and then we just, I know I actually have a lot of questions too, that we can hit you at the end. So we'll do an intro uh, for your background, talk about where we're at today. And then uh, I got some questions that I curated personally after, uh, going through some of after knowing your content for so long too. Uh oh. Uh yeah, so 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 a little bit about me. I I uh, I'm I'm a little bit older. And I think that's one of the the interesting things about sort of my my story is that I had a life, I had a career way before, you know, the internet or I I found the internet. And so I'm 43 years old. I had business failure, I had bankruptcy, I had, you know, sort of a a a my, my dreams collapse, you know, way before I ever, I ever found any type of success or a place on, on the internet. And so, yeah, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, um, had some abusive stepfathers, um, but my mom gave me a gym membership when I was 12 years old. And that was the gift that changed my life because, uh, for the first time, you know, I felt like I was in control and I was confident. And so, you know, she would drop me off. I would go, I'd work out and I got to meet all these like big, strong dudes. It was right after like one of the Rocky movies. I think it was Rocky four. I can't remember exactly when he fought the Russian. Everybody oh, yeah. corrects me. I, I always say it's three. Yeah. It's four. Okay. <laughs> so the greatest Rocky ever. Right. And so, uh, so I saw that movie. I'm like, my God, if, if a body can look like that, right, that's what I want. And so, it was at that point I remember prior to the fitness membership, I was in my basement with like sand filled and water filled weights, listening to vanilla ice, ice, ice baby on my, on my Walkman. I like, that was it for me. And so got the membership and, and realized that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. If, if I could feel so good, um, I, I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So from the age of 12, that's what everything I wanted to do was, was to start and own a fitness center. And so um, I, I went to college, got a degree from West Virginia University in business management uh, with a minor in marketing and community health promotion. And so got out of WVU and moved to Atlanta. I didn't know where or what I was going to do. I just knew that I wanted to open a fitness center. And my, my friend Terry, who, who you guys know, his father was dating a woman here in Atlanta. And um, he said, hey, if you don't know where you want to go and you don't want to go back to Philly, he said, you should go check out Atlanta. It was right after the Olympics. And he said, if you can't make a business work there, you can't make it work anywhere. Well, <laughs> long story short, <laughs> apparently this business wasn't going to be working anywhere because, uh, you know, met a guy, we, we, um, I, I was a personal trainer down here in Atlanta and, and I met a guy, we opened a nutrition store. Then we opened another nutrition store and um, I decided that I was going to leave that because he was uh, selling illegal substances out of the back. And I just knew that that was not something that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to take part in because prison was not a place that I would thrive. You'd and so popular, uh, <laughs> popular exactly. I'd be popular, but yeah, I'd have lots of dates. Um, and so, so I ended up leaving and, and took a job at crunch being a personal trainer. But during the nutrition store time, I, I met a woman named Linda and, uh, I helped her lose a hundred pounds. And so she said, Hey, would you, would you be interested in, 
in uh in starting a, a personal training studio i want to help other people and change their lives the way you change mine and i said oh my god of course and so we ended up um signing the lease for our uh, little personal training studio on september 11th as in like the september 11th when the planes were crashing into the world trade center and that should have been an omen as to how that business was going to sort of play out and unfold and and it was um, we did that for a little while. It was, it was incredibly hard work. I was working like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I was making $24,000 a year, but I was happy because I was living my dream. And, um, and so long story short, shorter, um, we, 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 we came up with this idea called move it. That was a group fitness facility. And it was an amazing idea. It was back in the day when, when curves and a lot of these like group fitness franchises, you guys might be too young to remember them. But there were these like group fitness like franchises that were really popular. And we thought, hey, this is how we're going to actually make it. And so we came up with this concept called Move It. It was, it was for you know, family members to do it together. We had classes for seniors. We had a little class for little kids called Muscle Sprouts. Like we had like all sorts, it, the branding was amazing. It was really fun. There was an instructor. It was just, you know, bands and balls and dumbbells. And and um, and so we we raised some money for that. And um then we took a, a bank loan. We raised like $120,000. And at the time, that might as well have been like $5 million to us. And then we took that money to the bank and got a, a CD with a little more money. And so all in all, we, we raised about $137,000 to start this company. Long story short, it didn't work out. One of our investors was a... Um, was a uh, was, was he started fighting with, with my, my business partner. And so all sorts of legal stuff started happening and we ended up having to uh, shoot the bleeding dog. And at that point I was driving a beer cart, trying to just put gas in my car. And um, the hardest part about that time was not that my, my business failed or that I was broke. It was that I didn't know what, what, what my direction was. My entire life's purpose up until this point was simply to own a fitness center. That was it. And when that went away, it was like, well, who am I now? And, uh -oh, um, and so here? that was in my thirties. So uh, must have been 2005 or six when that happened. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was in my I was in my 30s. So you know, here I am. You know, I was all proud that I had a, a business, but I was driving a beer cart. You know, giving all these drunk golfers beer. Now the good news is that I was the number one selling like beer cart person. I, it was me and like like all these like like you know, like 21 year old girls. <laughs> I was the only guy. And when I went in for the job, I was like, can I drive a beer cart? They're like, well, we've never had a guy actually do that. Are you sure you want to? I'm like, yeah, I get to be outside. I get to talk to people, of course. And so, um, so yeah, so, so long story shorter, um, my, uh, my, my wife gave me a video camera. Actually, let me back up just for a second. Um, when everything was failing, the one thing I started doing sort of on the side was, was helping some guys dress. Um, there was a guy that I met um, who was a meteorologist from the Weather Channel that was one of my clients during my personal training days who um, needed to get dressed for a date. He didn't know what to wear. And this was back in, you know, 2005, four. So, I mean, there wasn't a lot of information online yet about, you know, what to wear, you know, styles and things of that nature. And the only real resources were like GQ Magazine and Esquire. And, you know, this was right around the time when like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was coming out. And so I didn't know what it was, but I was helping him. Basically, he said, hey, I, I have a hot date. I said, great. Let me come over to your place, see what you have. While we're at it, let's go get your haircut. I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was building a, a business model of, of an image consultant. And so when the when the fitness center closed, I was like, I wonder if I could maybe maybe 
do this and see if other people would actually see if there's a market um, for just regular guys to want to look better and, and, and dress better. And so I, I had my assistant from back in the day when my fitness center was going on. Her name was Debbie. She sort of knew a little bit about, about technology and building websites. I said, hey, you want to build a website? And, and I can't really afford to pay you, but I'll give you 25% of whatever I make on it. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. And now, so uh, Now your style, yeah. though, your style sense, is that because you had been into fitness for a while and you were conscious of that? When did, when did style become a conscious effort? For oh, you? style was a thing from, from my, my mom tells the story of, of me. So I loved underoos. <laughs> Underoos, okay. Do you guys remember underoos? It's like the superhero underwear. Okay. Like you could be like Captain America, or you could be the Green Lantern, or you know. And and so anyway, so back when I was young, I loved underoos, right? I was really into superheroes. And so this is pre-kindergarten, and um and and I was so appalled that you had to actually wear them under your pants that I decided that I was going to wear them over top of my my jeans and rock my underoos, right? Like I wanted a everybody. Yeah, I was yeah. a superhero. And so, um, so my mom, she was like a hippie. She allowed me to do it. So she, you see this little kid with, you know, with his underwear over top of his jeans running around. And then she'll also tell the story. The first day of school, um, I took an entire roll of scotch tape and, and tight rolled my jeans because I hated the way they flared. This was back, you know, in 80 or like 81. And so this is right after like, you know, sort of the seventies where everybody was wearing flared pants. And so I, I hated the fact that that the the flare in the pants were was that big. So I've always been into style. Growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, and so I went to thrift stores and 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 sort of I you know I was very insecure about you know the fact that we didn't have any money, and so I knew that there was one thing I could change was you know be my my style, and I'm going to go and I'm going to try and you know be creative, and with twenty dollars I can be dangerous at a thrift store, and I was voted uh, best dressed in in high school. And so um, that was, you know, it, it's always been a thing. I've always been into style and and dressing and clothes. I've I've always loved it. Got it. Never heard that. Never heard the underoos story. Yeah, <laughs> man, underoos, baby. That's where it <laughs> all started. <laughs> yeah, let's, exactly. get the, let's get the pictures out for that one. <laughs> I'll still do it, man. <laughs> so so you're building, so you're building the, you're... the image consulting business, even though you don't really know yep. that's what it is at the time. Yeah. And then, yeah. And my wife in, in 2000 and, and um, I guess it was 2006 gave me, no, 2007, she gave me a video camera for Christmas. Just, you know, she didn't know what to get me. I thought she was, you know, trying to tell me something like she wanted to get freaky. Uh, that wasn't it. And, uh, and so I had this video camera and at that point I had been on fear factor um, and I got kicked off of that. And then I was on this other show um, called glam God with Vivica Fox. And how, I how guess what I've come, come I've found, yeah, don't just gloss over. Yeah. I was on Go, Fear Factor, one of the big, yeah. <laughs> Fear Factor. Time. So, so, so Fear Factor happened when I was still had with the personal training studio and I was a big fan of the show. And uh, my business partner, Linda's husband, Ken said, Hey, you should get on Fear Factor. That'd be really cool. I said, Hey, figure out how to get me on and I'll go. And he called me that night and said, Hey, on Tuesday, they're having an open casting down in Buckhead in Atlanta. And so I went, I stood in line with like 500 people and, uh, and the way that that casting worked, um, they basically brought, you know, 20 people in at a time around the table. There was a producer there or one of the staff people and they'd go around and just ask you a question. And, um, and so he asked me, he, he asked me a question of, or something. He asked the guy next to me, he said, Hey, why should you be on the show as opposed to this guy? And he pointed to me and the guy goes, cause I have a better body than him. 
And so then I'm like, oh, I'm like, I knew what they wanted. I'm like, they just want good personalities. So I ripped my shirt off and, and, you know, and so that sort of was the first piece. And then he grabbed me, goes, Hey, we want you to move on to the second round. And then just went through the process. And, um, and so, yeah, so got on fear factor and that was pretty incredible. It was, it was awesome. It was my first time actually on a airplane, uh, going out and flying to, uh, to, to California to film that. And then, that kind of gave me the bug. And then when I started the image consulting business, I was looking for opportunities to sort of get on TV because I thought that's where you needed to be in order to, I, like I saw Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I'm like, I need to like get it like a TV show or something. Like that's what I thought was going to be the, the, the magic or the silver bullet. And so I was looking at castings on Craigslist and I saw, you have good style? And, um, and I lied my way on to, on to that show because they asked, I knew that they wanted you to be able to work with women. And so I taught myself how to do makeup. I got like a makeup head and I taught myself how to do like a smoky eye. And, and I had my stylist friend, Steven show me how to do like a, a twist and an updo. And so when I went on there, I was ready. They hated me. I was kicked off like before, like I even had a chance to show them what I had, my skills. And, and so, yeah, so I got kicked off of that and I was pissed off and I was upset and I thought, okay, I got this video camera and I heard about YouTube. And so I, I decided, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see if anybody will you know, watch me on YouTube. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to make a video, did that and, uh, uploaded my first video. And I got, I went to JC Penney's and bought all sorts of like big, like jackets and like big ties. Cause I thought that's what an image consultant was supposed to wear was like a big, like, you know, blazer. And, um, and so, you know, my earlier videos are pretty funny, but I don't, the ones that are still left, it's me sitting there in oversized suit jackets with like a big giant Windsor knot. Like I was so proud that I knew how to tie a Windsor. And if I knew how to tie a Windsor, I could obviously give people style advice. And so that was, that was it. The rest is history. I uploaded my first video, got my first question and, and the rest is history. I was hooked ever since. Hmm. Was there like a video? Do you remember like the first video that that kind of took off or, or, or did well, where you're like, Oh, I, I can kind of see the power of this platform, even though there were less viewers back then. No. Um, I, you know, I didn't make, like I started, I guess in 2008. And so I didn't, I was uploading videos once a week and I would get drunk for every video. Um, I would, and, and <laughs> here's me being honest, right? What would happen is at the end of the week, I would basically in my old bedroom, I had this little like credenza where the TV would be. And so this was back when I was still, I was not doing well, like emotionally. I was still, um, I think really just trying to, you know, figure things out after the fitness center collapsed. I had not found success and I was self-medicating and, and using alcohol as, as a bit of a crutch. And so what I would do, I wasn't comfortable in front of the camera yet. I would have like a six pack of beer by, by, by the TV right off camera. And in between each of my cuts, I would take a drink. By the time I was done filming a video, I drank six beers and I was drunk. And so um, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Why did I just tell you guys that? Um, and so, so yeah, so that, so there wasn't really a, a point. It was, I just kept putting out videos. There were some videos looking back that I've, I've taken down because um, back then, you know, I didn't know what you had to do to be a successful YouTuber. I didn't know what a successful YouTuber was. Um, this was back when you had to reach you know, I think it was 10,000 subscribers in order to be like monetizable and to actually start making money. I didn't have any e-products. I didn't have really anything. I was just making videos. And so literally for like three to four years, I probably didn't make a penny on YouTube. I was just making, making videos. I didn't, I didn't know, or I wasn't smart enough to realize the mechanism 
to actually, you know, start making money off of it. Mm -hmm. And so what, but so you didn't have anything to sell at the beginning. You were just, it seemed like something you wanted to do. Did you start enjoying the process or like, cause how'd you keep doing it for so long if, if you weren't making any money? No, no, no. That, yeah, no, it was all about just the, the, the interaction and feeling validated. I think that was the thing that I had been searching for my whole life was, was just like feeling like, like I mattered and I was validated. And when I started posting YouTube videos, I think that was the first point at which I was, I felt like people actually cared about my opinion because they would ask me questions. And then I felt like, Hey, I've got this platform and I'm comfortable talking about myself. And I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you anything you want to know about me. And so I was very comfortable in my own skin at that point. And so it was easy for me to talk about things like butt hair removal. And, and, you know, I was the first person talking about any of that stuff. And, um, and so I think that's one of the reasons, one of the only reasons why, um, while, why I was successful is just because I was early and I was talking about things that people might be curious about, but nobody's ever talked about um, up until that point. And so that was, I think my, my secret to success. And what, were you still doing a personal training or working at the golf course? Like what were you doing during that time? No, I was, I was personal training okay. and then I was doing some image consulting. Like when I could, this was back, I was doing a lot of paid advertising back then on Google. Hmm. I had a $500 budget and, um, and this was back when you could bid on keywords and get clicks for 50 cents, you know, back, back, back then. And so, um, I was, I would get, you know, maybe one client every two months that would fly in from somewhere else. And, and I would, you know, have to borrow my wife's car and, and go and act like I was, you know, <laughs> actually successful. That was a total, like fake it till you make it. And, and, um, I remember the first image consulting client I had, his name was Brett and he thought he was number like 600, but it was, um, I took him to a K and G. Do you guys have K and G men's superstore? Mm -hmm. No. Well, the, I, I didn't know what I was doing. The first session took me like three days to do <laughs> because I'd be like, Oh yeah. But, but yeah, so I was still image consulting and doing the personal training. Um, yeah. On the side. And, and, and that was, you know, how I was making money. And then eventually started selling your own products, which was just that, that was like the e-course was the first thing you sold, right? No, the first thing was the mail style guide. Um, it was like a little, little book that, that I kind of wrote or that I had help writing. And, um, and that was the first e-product. I think it was like 20 bucks. And then I created, I think it was the style system or maybe it was, I had a, I had a membership website called I am alpha M mm. where I was creating, I was posting three videos a, a day, Monday through Friday. And, you know, and the point at which, um, that actually grew to like a hundred thousand dollars a year. And that was to me, I mean, that was more money than I had ever made. Um, but, um, then the decision was, okay, I wonder if I can just give away all this content and, and try and make money through advertising and, and other, you know, sales of my own products. And so, yeah, I've done, I've, I've tried a bunch of stuff. I also used to make accessories and like beaded bracelets and things of that nature. I've tried everything. Mm -hmm. And you went on Shark Tank for the style system. Yeah. Right, was, yeah. That didn't work out so well either. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you got, yeah, you got the yep. redemption though. <laughs> yeah. 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 Went on Shark Tank. Um, if I had a superpower, it would be uh, uh, knowing how to get on reality television shows. You know, I just know what they're looking for. You know, you take your personality that's normally like, you know, pretty jovial and take it up to like a level 12 and you're perfect. They don't care what you're saying. They just want you to be good TV. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was funny. I did. A, I think I told John about this. There was like a, a reality show. I don't know if it ever went live, but 
they got in touch with me for casting and it was about it was like like scrawny to brawny or something like that and it was um it was mr t was going to be like the celebrity personality judge trainer guy and they wanted like skinny guys that they would take and bulk up and put them through this program and so i had like the most awkward video call with this random casting lady i had to like take off my shirt and stuff and then she said i wasn't skinny enough I can get sick. Yeah. I was like, well, exactly. yeah, I've been working out, but like I, I was stopped for a few months, you know, if I can get on the show. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have that superpower, but <laughs> that is awesome though. That yeah. would be, did that actually end up ever? I, I don't, airing? I don't even know if it aired, but, um, yeah, I, I like the concept. It probably would have been miserable. Like I'm sure they would have put you on like a, you know, 3,500 calorie a day diet and it would have been wrong. Oh, yeah. It definitely would have been horrible. That was like the biggest loser in reverse before Biggest Loser was Biggest Loser. Exactly. How long ago was that? How long ago? It was like a year ago. Oh, okay. So yeah. not long ago. Yeah, it wasn't that Mr. long. Mr. T's still around? <laughs> I didn't even know Mr. T's still around. I guess so. I, yeah, I don't even know like what – they couldn't say what network it was going to go on or anything like that. So, but – yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm sorry, Brock. <laughs> yeah, next we'll have to time. for that one later. <laughs> yeah. So you uh, you go on Shark Tank. We know it's a swing and a miss because you sold one style system when it aired. Uh, but then I think that's what really is that what sparked the idea for Pete and Pedro. Uh because at that point, I mean, you were you had a you had if a great... I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, um, no, it wasn't. Um, I had I had thought about Shark. I had th- so okay. <laughs> I always say that it is. Um, and I told them it was, um, no, it wasn't. I just realized that, that the style system was, was not the right product because I envision, I'm like, if I'm on shark tank seen by 8 million people, if I can't move this product, I also was not, I, I don't like information products personally. I, I don't like selling them. I don't feel comfortable selling them. I'm not good at writing. I'm not a technologically, or I'm not a tech savvy person. I'm, you know, I'm just not good at that. And so I, um, I, I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm really not feeling this. What if I actually created like a hair product? And so I went to my, uh, my friend, Steven, who was a hairstylist. And I, I said, Hey, do you know anybody or anywhere or like a lab that I could have some manufactured? I knew I wanted to sell a product. I just didn't know what the product was. And so, yeah, so that was kind of just, I guess it was, I guess Shark Tank was the reason because I realized that that if I can't be on shark, if I can't sell any units on Shark Tank, then then I really probably have no business selling this. If I can show this to eight million people and one person buys it, that's probably not the best product. Well, I knew you had mentioned that you had like cut your own hair as a kid and everything, and like hair has always been a passion for you. And so I'm sure mm-hmm. it was always it was always kind of there. Oh yeah, no, oh yeah. Back, I remember. See, it's so funny. I like certain things and certain like smells that you remember. I remember, um, as my hair, you guys can't see me. Anyway, um, I remember my, I used to use mousse. Like I've always been into hair and and hairstyling products. And so I used hairspray and then mousse. And I remember it was like, my world was rocked when Terry Edelman, when we were 21 years old, I went over to his apartment in Maniunk, Philadelphia, or right outside Philadelphia, Maniunk. And he's like, "Hey, have you ever seen this?" And it was an Amer- it was American Crew pomade. And he goes, "Smell it." And I smelled it. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" It's sm- and I still to this day I love the smell of American Crew pomade. And that was kind of like my gateway drug in the hair products. It was like, "Oh wait a second, you know, it's not just mousse and Vidal Sassoon hairspray. Like this is what's out there." And so that was like my gateway drug. And then, you know, they were the only game in town for a really long time, American Crew. And then. 
you know, you had some additional people coming in, but you know, on YouTube, then you had people like Hans DeFuco who started their, their products. Um, and, and, um, and then, you know, the slick hair guys, they started theirs and, and I guess the slick hair guys and, and, and Pete and Pedro, they start, we started about the same time because we were both talking about like hair. And, and so that was, that was how it started. But at that point too, you had never manufactured anything. And so you're starting mm-hmm. from the ground up to say like sourcing ingredients and that's. No, 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 no. It's private label. Pete yeah. and Pedro, um, you know, when I started that. It was, I just, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't want to risk a lot. And so um, ever since my business failed, it was one of those things where I swore to myself I would never get into debt ever again. And um, and so um, I, I, I sourced the, I went to a bunch of different labs back in the day. There probably still are. There were a bunch of different product company or companies out there that did the private label for, you know, the hair product. And so um, I found the Hans DeFuco company that does their private label. And, and the funny thing is that they will swear up and down that they don't private label. They might not now, but but I fa- I have I still have the products. Their scheme cream, I've still got it from the lab that actually makes it and all of their, you know, all their products. But anyway, so I I found this this company that I love their products. I love all five of their products. And I decided to give it a shot. I was able to order like 96 units of like the putty. The paste, the clay, the uh, the pomade, and then the cream, and that was it. In my little bedroom, I had you know four boxes of each sitting there. I did a website and and sort of figured it out. But yeah, and then in the early stages, um, my Pete and Pedro, they were all private label products. Now some of the products are still private label because once you um, once you you know find a product that you know people love, like I'm placing large enough quantities now where I could very easily do a custom order. But that would require me to change what everybody has fallen in love with and what I love. And so, um, so yeah, so now we do a lot of other custom things. I mean, we've got multiple labs that we work with. Um, most of the products that we've come out with in the past like two years are custom with the exception of um, some of the tools and things that we do source over in China. When, when, you, right. when you first launched that, you launched it to the YouTube audience. Did that exceed your expectations? Did that go about as expected? I had no expectations. I literally, I went into that with, let me just see if I can do this. And I have no, I, like, I didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so there wasn't an expectation. I didn't know if anybody would buy it. I was thrilled that, that I would buy it. It was funny because actually, let me grab something. Hold on. Okay. So, so for this mixer G so, so for this one podcast I'm getting ready to, I had um, my assistant Debbie send me all my numbers in terms of my sales growth. And so I started uh, Pete and Pedro in 2013, and that year I did $30,000 in sales. And so, you know, and back then it was, it was something where I was like, oh, that's cool, right? But I wasn't really like making $30,000. It was, it was neat. And then the second year, 2014, I made 65000 And so we like doubled. It was like, wow, that's really cool. And then in 2015, I did 268,000. And that's when everything sort of went, wait a second. Like it, 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 it jumped and, and it was a significant jump. And then pretty much every year, you know, it's just been, it's been a, a that was the year at which I was like, wait a second, maybe this is a real business. Um, and then 2017, you know, you know, that was, that was the year where, you know, we went well over six fi- or seven figures and, and it started to really sort of take off from there. But yeah, it's been since 2013, so it's it's been a while, but it's been really exciting to see it grow and 
And at first when I started, it was kind of like my stepchild. And now as it's continued to, you know, grow and I've hired people to actually help me that are better doing what, what I should have been doing that I just am not suited for and don't have any business doing. That's when, when that really kind of started to take it, it, it started to scale and escalate, you know, pretty quickly from there as well. So when it sounds like around that time too, so 13 then was Pete and Pedro. And then at what point do you get connected with the Tiege guy? Well, well, before that though, there's uh, Terry and getting my influential mm-hmm. started and your relationship with Antonio and then there's Tiege. And so you have this, it all seems to happen right around, you know, as you start to grab onto some success around YouTube. Yep, exactly. It was, um, so Terry, I can't remember, I'm really bad with dates. Terry has been, um, as you guys know, he's my best friend from high school. I mean, I, he and I go way back and, and around that point on YouTube, I was, it it must've been, hang on. I can tell you, you can edit. Can you, do you guys edit this at all? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hold on. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to go back to my commission report for him. Okay. So it was 2000 and it looks like 2016, was our first year that I was working. It might have been 2015 that um, that I was I was ended up working with um, where are we uh, working with 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 Terry and and he come to my he would come to my family reunion every every year in the summer down in Atlantic City and he was um, he had been in car sales and he was the first friend of mine that he went to college but then he left college like two years into it and he and he started working in the auto industry. Um, selling cars. And he was the first person I knew that was making over a hundred thousand dollars. And he was like 23 years old. And so it was like, whoa, that was like, that was crazy back then. And, um, and so he was, was very successful in car sales because he can talk. It's what he does. Him and his brother, both Brian, they talk. (laughs) That's what they're good at, right? They're just great. They're incredible salesmen. Like certain people just have it and they have it. And so it was that, I guess about 2015 or 16, um, I was getting inundated by, by people saying, Hey, we want you to, you know, do a promotion for, for our brand or, or talk about our products. And I would just send them a media kit. I had a media kit made. I would never follow up. It was like, here it is. Here's my services. If you want it, come and get it. And, um, and so I saw Terry and he was in a transitional point as well. He was sick of working, you know, so much and, and the car, car industry will eat you alive in terms of your, your soul and I said to him, I said, you know, I knew he was sort of in between jobs. And I said, hey, would you, you think you could sell my advertising for me? And he said, yeah, I'd be willing to give it a try. And, um, and so I said, well, how much do you need to make? And he's like, I, I, I need to make $5,000 a month. I said, okay, I'll pay it 3000 or I'll pay $5,000 for three months. If it doesn't work after three months, then we got to just shake hands and, and this be over. And it was, he came down to Atlanta. I sort of showed him what I was doing. I gave him some emails. And it was instant that he like took to this, like it was his, his, his calling. And, um, and so it was very successful right off the bat. And then, um, Antonio, a good friend of ours, um, he, I said to him, I said, man, I hired the sales guy. It's been ridiculous. And he said, well, will he sell for me as well? I said, yeah, probably. And then that was the idea of, okay, well, Hey, since we're doing these brand deals, these companies have more money to spend. Let's help them spend it with, with this network of people that Antonio and I had come to, to meet over the years, like, like you guys. And so that was sort of, um, that was an epiphany moment. And then I would say probably, I think it was 2016, 16, I guess it was later in 2016. I met, um, Rob and Kelly actually reached out to me 
uh, to see about me doing promotions for Tej version one, which was they were they were selling other people's like Jack Black moisturizer. They were selling Billy Jealous. Like they were selling other people's groomings pro- grooming products in a box. It's like a birch box and, type thing almost. Yeah, it was – no, it was – but no, it wasn't Birchbox. Birchbox was more like sampley. This was like real, like like for seventy five dollars, you got a box and you got your moisturizer, you got like a deodorant, and you got something else. Hmm. It wasn't a subscription. It was just like a one off box. Okay. And so um, they reached out and said, "Hey, would you be interested in promoting it?" And um, Terry negotiated an eight video promotional deal with them. Um, but when we were on the phone, that first call, he said, well, what do you think of the business? I said, if I'm being honest with you, I said, I think it, it's, it's a who cares business. You can go on Amazon and buy any of this stuff. You can go to the grooming lounge. It does. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't really do anything. What really should happen is we need to, de- you need to develop your own products, have a system, have a card instructions. And why don't, instead of you paying me to do your promotions, why don't you partner with me and let's let's do something really cool. And so that's kind of how that worked and and happened. And as a result, I said to Terry, I said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry that I'm going to do this. We we passed on eight videos, and so I ended up um, uh, giving him uh, 25% of my equity in Tease Handling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and this was before we knew if Tease would be successful. I just said, I'll tell you what, you know, here's here it is. Like I'm just going to give you this. If it works, it works." I just took food out of your mouth because I want to try this. And so if it works, we'll, we'll, we'll be successful together. Well, and I don't think you would have had that. Uh, you wouldn't have been able to say, do this and source all this if you hadn't gone through the Pete and Pedro thing. Right. It's like, if you exactly. didn't have that, that probably like it all like rolls up on to itself. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything's been, yeah, I, I am not that smart. What I am is I'm a, I'm an opportunity. I'm an opportunist. I also, um, I need to, I need to screw things up the way I am and the way that my brain works. I can't just learn from other people. I don't read books. I, I have to go through it. I've got to try something and then I've got to fail on my face or I've got to be successful. And then that is the, that is the way that I learn. And so, so I, I'm somebody who needs to be immersed in the process in order to figure it out. And, uh, unfortunately I wish I was, was smarter and could, could learn you know, from other people that would save a lot of pain, <laughs> but, but it's like, how do you know not to drink and drive? You get a DUI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this, so. I mean, this, this was the first time you went in as a co-founder with partners. It seems like this was a fundamentally different business than Pete and Pedro, because it was like, you were going big, I guess it wasn't like a, a mom and pop type thing. We're now Pete and Pedro is, is different, but back then at least it seems like Tears was a different play. Absolutely. Tiege was a different play. I mean, um, Tiege Hanley, I think we started that business um, uh, $250,000 is what we we started. And we've never taken any money. We have no debt or anything like that on, on the business. That from day one, the idea was this could be big. Let's go big. And so with that, you know, you just, I, I realized that I'm just not good at certain things. And in order for me to grow anything, um, to this magnitude, I needed people that were smarter than me. And so, uh, you know, Kelly is, is a super smart, savvy business person who's very well connected. And, um, and Rob is, he, he brought, you know, a lot to the table in the early days in terms of technology, um, and, and, you know, brand building and, and, you know, just, so it's been a really good partnership. We, we all respect each other very much and we all sort of have our sweet spot that we, that we are 
you know, experts in and, and we let everybody kind of do their job. So that, this actually, I'll take this from one of the questions I had for later, but that's, this is a perfect time to ask it is that is a level of humility that most men don't have. Where does that come from to recognize that you're not good at something and say, I need to have this other thing happen in order for the success to, to be a part of it? I don't know. It probably comes from being raised by a woman. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's, you know, communication. Um, I think probably for me, you know, my mom, like I said, was a hippie. I was in therapy at the age of three. My parents were getting divorced. And so from a very young age, I got very used to there was there, we were, we were on welfare. And one of the programs that welfare offered was, was therapy for children of, 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 you know, divorced parents. And so, um, so from like the age of three, literally I was, I was conditioned and, and sort of encouraged to just communicate and talk and it's okay to admit when you're struggling with something, it's also okay to admit when you're not good at something. And so um, back, you know, fast forward a few years, you know, until, you know, one of the the downsides to, you know, growing up in, in a sort of tumult, tumult, you say the word, tumultuous, tumultuous yes, thank you. Um, um, family life was that I, I sort of lost the ability to stand up for myself. And so when I went away to college, I was very angry. I was pissed at my mom. I was just very upset because I lost the ability to sort of stand up for myself. And so I realized in, in college that I need help with this. And so I, I went to therapy in college. And then after I graduated college, I, I went to more therapy um, just to sort of, you know, figure out and deal with my own issues. And so I think that if you're comfortable with therapy and, 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 that sort of that that mechanism that is like per, like self help i think it probably allows you more more humility in you know realizing when you're not exactly great at something that you can benefit from somebody else's perspective or help so it's probably from that i would say i don't know good question i've never been asked that <laughs> oh, i got a few more of those for later but okay, so Tish, uh Tish launches like that's a it's a whole new thing for you and then it immediately i, I don't know how immediate it was but it's a meme right it's like you yeah. put some tige on a movement watch and it's a Rolex or you yep. put like that, that tige just happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, it was, uh, so the question is, was it immediate? Well, no. I mean, yeah. Well, what was the trajectory of like, what was your, this one you, you should have, we might've had some more expectations of this one than Pete and Pedro. And then yeah. like, how did it go from there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. So, well, I don't have many good ideas, but I had a good one when it came to tige handling. And that was, um, I went to Robin Kelly during the period at which we were starting this business. Um, and I said, Hey, you know, what would you think about me actually doing like a business vlog and just kind of talking about Tiege Hanley, you know, just the the process that we're going through, because I knew that, you know, if we were struggling with it, you know, let's, let's invite people into the process of, of this, this, this business and building this brand. And they were uncomfortable with it at first, but they allowed me to do it. And that putting myself out there and just sort of in, in, engaging people and allowing them sort of to be part of the process. That was the reason why we were successful because like from day one, we literally went from zero to a thousand subscribers in one day. And so when we launched, people were ready, they were excited. You know, there was no bullshit. They, we, they got to pick the packaging color, like you engage people. And that was something that, and this was kind of before like Gary Vaynerchuk was, you know, talking all about that. It was, it was, you know, it was, just something that was, that was amazing. And, and we had no idea that it was going to be so successful, but um, yeah, it was, it was being open and talking and communicating and allowing people to be a part of the journey. And it kind of makes sense now, 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 like looking back 
that you know the way that we we consume things, the way that we buy things, it's a lot more emotional, and we need to feel emotionally connected to what we're buying because there are so many options out there. And in the old days, you could just have a lot of money if you were a company and just you know blast you know billboards and TV ads, and the person with the most advertising budget they want, they win, they get the customer. Well, today it's different. People are so much more selective in who they do business with. Um, and so they want to feel connected to the brand or the, the company that they're actually doing business with. And I think that was something that we did not on like, not like, because we're so smart, like that's why we were doing it, but that's kind of what happened as a result of just being willing to put yourself out there and, and be vulnerable once again. Well, a little bit of that is the mentality too, of it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. And like you had built this community and this audience for so long and this trust, and then to bring that to Tiege and open that a little bit and bring them to the process too. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, how has, has your role in Tease changed much now that it's cause, cause now you guys are, you know, in a way doing the billboards and stuff, Like you have all these different marketing channels, you have a team. So mm -hmm. I know you still obviously use, you're still vlogging about it. You still use your own channel to, to promote it, but has your role changed much? No, my role is, is pretty much the same as, as it's been, from day one. And that's, I think one of the, one of the important things to, I think when, when you start a business, you know, roles will change, roles will, will, will morph, but I am sales. Like that's what I do. Like that's what I'm good at. I'm good at, you know, putting myself out there and I just love selling. And so, um, that's my role is, has not really changed. I mean, we, it's, it's a lot of meetings. Um, you know, I do, I do quarterly meetings now that I, I personally, I hate to travel, but every quarter I'm going to Chicago to, you know, do this every week, every, every week we've got two meetings, you know, Tuesday, three o'clock, me, Rob Kelly, we're on the phone talking about like high level issues. And then on Friday, 11 AM, we're having, you know, a level 10 meeting. Um, we've started to adopt, um, the, um, what do they call it? Uh, it's, it's a managerial structure. Why am I having a brain fart now? The, uh, EOS system, entrepreneur. Does that sound familiar? EOS, EOS. where you have rocks and you have like, no, no. anyway, like, why am I not <laughs> the EOS? I think it's got EOS. It. Entre yeah, it's the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial operating system hmm. is like, there's a book or something. And it's, it's, uh, it's been helpful for us to develop as a, as a company, but no, my role is pretty much the same. It's, it's do what you do. Just talk about it. And, and, um, you know, be the uh, sort of the main mouthpiece for it, mm -hmm. and then and then since then you've got, I guess two two more kind of ventures. You have Enemy, and and then brand new uh, your podcast. So hmm. I guess first, how and why uh, <laughs> did you start Enemy? So Enemy was simply I I was in Chicago. Um, I I got done running and I was walking by a store of a, a gentleman that I know called Glasses Limited. It's right on Oak Street, beautiful, you know, beautiful street, lots of, you know, beautiful stores and everything. And I was walking by and there was a sign on the window that says, good is the enemy of great. And, um, and I, I saw that sign and I've always loved sunglasses. I was super big into like retrospects. I just, I love sunglasses. And, um, and so I, I saw that word enemy and I thought that's a really cool looking word. And I said, you know, I wonder if there's an enemy brand, I said, that would be a really cool, like sunglass company, like enemy. And so I went back to my room right before the T Shanley meeting. And I was, you know, on GoDaddy searching to see if there was like enemy and, and, um, and there wasn't, 
And so I bought, you know, enemyshades.com right there. I bought enemysunglasses.com and, um, and that was it. It was, it was, let me see if I can figure this out and let's just see if I can, I can start a sunglass company because I love sunglasses. And so that literally was just the, let me see if I can do it type of thing from a word, the word enemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you got the domain name. You got the, the actual domain. Got it. Yeah. Well, you bought I bought it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I bought because yeah. Enemy.com. Um, it was, it was owned by some gaming company who really wasn't doing anything with it. And so we approached them and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in selling it? And, and they were, and, um, and so bought it. Nice. And after you have, you know, some bumps in the road and stuff, but now enemy is doing well and it's, it's a, an established brand. So yeah, we're front try, enemy is one of those things where once again, it was not, it's not an expectation thing. It was, a let me see if I can do this and then let's see kind of what happens. I didn't have, you know, the same, you know, goal like, oh, let's, you know, sell a million dollars of sunglasses the first year. It was, let's just see what happens. Let's first get through the first, or let's get through the hurdle of making them and manufacturing them because this is really the first product I've like a physical product that I've ever manufactured. And so, you know, dealing with, you know, China, dealing with, you know, importing the acetate from Italy, um, the lenses from Zeiss, like, like this is my first time like dealing with like import duties and things of that nature. And so um, there was definitely a learning curve. Also custom designing and developing something is also different. And, um, and so it's been a it's been interesting and I really love the company. I, I think that someday I'm going to have a lot more time to develop and, or to dedicate to it. But right now it's kind of like my, my, my little kid, I'm, I'm just, you know, taken care of and, and let's see what happens. Um, but it's not something I have no pressure on it. There's no pressure on enemy and it's, let's just see what people are saying. Let's continue to sort of upgrade the, the quality and, and just, you know, do this nice and slow. And, and I think someday I'll, I'll, I think it'll be a bigger company in the next like three years. Um, once I sort of dedicate, but something else has to come off of my plate mm -hmm. before I can dedicate more time to that because these other things occupy so much time and, and in terms of revenue, move the needle more than enemy does. Yeah. Well, and, and you've just put something else on your plate with the podcast. <laughs> so which, which is, like isn't a huge, you know, probably a huge time suck, but I guess what, what is the thought process behind that for anybody who hasn't listened to the inaugural episode yet? <laughs> that was, you know how many times somebody said to me, oh, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. I'm like, I don't want to do a podcast. Like, I don't have the time. I just don't, I, I wouldn't be good at it. And, um, and so, um, one of my, uh, one of my guys that you guys know, Paul McGregor, um, he, um, was on me about, Hey, we should, we could do a podcast. I could do the work and I can take some of your, your content and just cl clip it up. We'll do an intro. We'll do an outro. We could use it as just a mechanism to advertise enemy. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I told him no three times. And he said, I really feel strongly about this. And I said, okay, fine. You're going to do all the work. He said, yes. And so he did all the work for the first one. I re recorded like an intro and outro but then he showed me this thing. He's like, hey, it's actually people are actually watching or listening to it. And so then the second one, I was like, oh, really? OK, well, then, like, let me try another format. Let me do some Q&As. And, and so um, so that's a work in progress and just trying to kind of figure it out. But, um, you know, it scares me. And so whenever something scares me, I know that it's probably the right decision to, to keep going a little bit mm -hmm. just because. I get comfortable and, and I like like what I'm good at and, and YouTube, I don't trust 
And so not that my, like having a podcast for me, I think would ever outpace my, my YouTube. But I think that in today's world, things are so crazy that you might as well just, you know, pull something, pull the thread and see, you know, what happens. And if it, you know, ends up unwinding and, you know, maybe go with it a little bit more. Yeah. Cause I know through the tease vlogs, uh, it seems like a year ago, that was when you had really started to consciously say that you were worried about what's going on with YouTube and, and that as a platform. And then you doubled down on Instagram and it seems like you're now more open to exploring, you know, not just YouTube. Uh, as yeah. A no, it is. I'm a late adopter to everything. The only thing that I was early on is YouTube. That's the only thing. Everything else, I resist technology. I resist change. You know, there's that curve of, you know, the early adopters, the late adopters. I'm like, I am like, I'm like my grandmother when it comes to technology. And so, yeah, it was um, definitely um, something now where I know that I need to, I need to push myself a little bit. The Instagram thing was something somebody else actually got my Instagram account for me and said, hey, you're going to need this. I got your name because you're not going to be able to get this in another few months. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to post any pictures. That's so stupid. Who looks at pictures? <laughs> and so, uh, and then I ended up hiring somebody to help me. Paul helps me with my, uh, my, my Instagram enemy. And um, he also helps do some, some other things for me as well. Right. Well, it's good to have, it's good to have enough like cards on the table, right. When we're dealing with a, a global pandemic so that it's not a single <laughs> point of failure. Exactly. Exactly. That's true. But how, how do you, when you, when you get up, I know you have like a morning routine, but I mean, how, how do you figure out how to spend, how to ration out your time in a given week with all these different projects? Oh, no, there's, there's, I, it, every day is the same. Um, you know, it, the number one thing I have to do is make a YouTube video. That's my number one priority Monday through Friday. Um, and then it's about mixing in all the other stuff around that. Hmm. And so, um, no, I, I, I'm not somebody who can batch like a bunch of videos in like one day. And I don't, I don't enjoy that. I enjoy like getting up, like, you know, scripting my, you know, my, my, or putting bullet points out for my video. And like, I enjoy like one video, like I can only focus on one thing. And for me to do these videos and get, you know, a lot of times like my energy needs to be up. And so, um, it requires a lot. And so I focus just on that and then everything else I sort of, uh, sprinkle in, but I'm lucky because I have a lot of good people like Terry and Brian handle that one business, Mike Levy and Debbie and, and, you know, my customer service person and everybody handles, you know, Pete and Pedro. And so I just get to do like the high level stuff mm -hmm. with that. And T Shanley, same thing. I've got great partners that handle everything. I just need to do what I need to do. Like today I filmed my vlog. I'm on a call tomorrow. I, uh, you know, so I'm doing my promotions. And so it's just about, for me, it's about doing what you're good at and not trying to do more than you're, you should be doing. And that's something that I've learned the hard way. What, what bumps in the road did you have as you were setting up that structure? Cause like that is kind of the ideal, right? Is you get all the things that you don't, you're not good at, or you don't want to do and you have somebody do those better for you. But what were some of the bumps in the road as you were setting that up? Me just getting out of my own way. I'm a control freak. And so for me to, to, even if I know I'm not that good at something for me to actually toss the keys and allow somebody to take over, that has been, I've been my biggest hurdle, honestly, just me not being smart enough to give up things sooner. Like I still edit all my videos. Like I, I still like, that is the one thing I will not give up. And I, everybody tells me, you know, you need to give that to somebody else. It's not that I can't afford to pay somebody to edit my videos. I just feel like that's, part of what I love doing. And so why am I going that like, that's the thing that moves my needle 
And so I see, you know, even people like Antonio, you know, I saw like a, a, a difference. Like there was when he gave away his, his, you know, video editing and, and that whole process, I feel like you, you, you lose a little bit of something. And, and for me, um, or maybe not, maybe you gain it. I mean, his videos now are better than mine in terms of, you know, tech, technically they're, they're, you know, a lot more, you know, fun and a lot of great transitions. But for, for me, I just love doing it. And that's kind of, it's like, if I have to put in that work, okay, that's my job. It's what I need to do. And so I still do it. And so with, with YouTube being kind of like the engine of a lot of things that you do, do when, when people ask you, I'm sure all the time, how to start a YouTube channel or should they start a YouTube channel? Are you still bullish on it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that everybody should start a YouTube channel. If you've got something you want to say, do it. I think though, unfortunately it's been, it's been perverted a bit in terms of people view YouTube now because of everything that they see and they hear, they see it as not just like a way to share their perspective or a message or something they want to teach people. They see it and they start it with the idea that I'm going to make this a business and I'm going to make a lot of money. And I think that is, if you start it for that reason, I think you're, you're in trouble. I think, I think it's, um, that that's hard. It's, but, but yeah, no, if you've got something you want to say, I think that there's no better mechanism for just getting yourself out there in an instant and, and with very low barrier to entry, you know, there really isn't an excuse in order to, you know, if you want to start a YouTube channel, it's so easy. Um, yeah, I would encourage everybody because you never know where it's going to lead. Nice. Cool. Good to know. Well, we have, we have a series of, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, Rock, you should get I'm going to start another channel I myself. Didn't I tell you, wasn't I one of the people that told you to start one? You did actually, yeah, because I, I just had my website back, what was it, like 2015 or something, 2014 maybe? Yeah, I think, I think it was 2015 when I started the YouTube channel and still didn't take it seriously for a long time. So, but yeah, YouTube, I mean, for me, it's been, it it's, gets way more traffic, way more views in the website, but it's still so fickle compared to the web traffic, you know? So it's like, I still don't feel like I can really rely on it uh, as much as mm -hmm. I can for the website, you know? Yeah. So. I think Baron too. I had that conversation with Baron. Baron has not jumped in though, still. Yeah. I feel like if he, he did, like him and Andy both could just crush it if, if they really jumped in. Andy is such a great personality. Like if like that's the thing that's so crazy, right? Andy is so funny and and just like so quirky. And I think people would love him. Um, but uh, but yeah, he just <laughs> he just does not want to do it. Yeah, but that's the thing. They'd have to make like at least a video every week for a year just to even see, you know, just to even see if it was going to work. But um, we have a rapid fire series of questions real quick that, that we'll run you through like one or two word answers and then we'll and then we'll wrap things up. Sound good? Okay, All right. <laughs> sure. Uh, Oxfords or Brogues? Brogues. Boots or sneakers? Oh, boots. Spring, summer or fall, winter? Fall. Morning or evening shower? Both. Jeans, chinos, or trousers? Jeans. Favorite James Bond? Oh, I've never seen any James Bond movies. Oh, no. I know. We'll, we'll, we'll default to Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. <laughs> Navy or charcoal for a suit? Uh, Navy. Lifting or cardio? Uh, lifting. All right. And then if you got a big day, need to get pumped up, what song are you going to listen to in the shower? A big day, pumped up, shower. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to hand over my man card. Um, 
<laughs> I, you know, one of the songs that I've been really into lately is actually, and it's sort of, it, anyway, it's uh, Britney Spears, <laughs> When the World Ends. <laughs> have you, that's dark. Have you ever that's, heard that that's song? That's an epic song. <laughs> that song is incredible. It is totally <laughs> underrated in terms of like like a cool song, and it kind of makes sense now. But yeah, that song's great. I I love music. That is um, you know, I love Jay Z. I love I love music. So, but yeah, Britney Spears, When the World Ends, definitely solid. That was what I found out on our last trip. Is you're like a you're like a old school hip hop documentary file. Oh, I well, music documentaries. Yeah. Music documentaries are like my my thing. Every yeah, I, I just I love music, and I think it's because I'm not musical at all, and um and yeah, oh god, I love I love I love music. Yeah, I love like. Yeah. Well, I did have other questions. We're we're coming up on an hour here. I guess the one that I'm really curious about is like you've you've done a lot of really good content recently on how you're getting yourself you know mentally through the crisis and thinking about things. Like, is there a personal mantra or something that helps you get through some of these tough times after going through? A few of them you know it's i i don't allow myself to to go too far down like the rabbit hole of like like poor me um you know i am comfortable when when i'm working when i'm busy when i'm just doing stuff and so for me the the biggest thing is if something bad happens i just need to get to work and and figure something out and do it and so yeah it's been it's been really hard lately in terms of um you know, just feeling out of control. I, like I said earlier, I'm a control freak. And so I love, like, I, I want to feel like I can control situations and, you know, things, a few instances, like the YouTube algorithm changes. That was something where I was like, Oh God, I have zero control over this. Like in a second, you YouTube can decide, you know, okay, we just don't like your videos anymore. We're not going to show them to you or show them to people. Um, and this situation is, is very similar in the sense that, you know, no matter how much I, I, I prepared in terms of my, my businesses, um, it's hard, you know, you just, you have no control over, you know, what's happening and how long this is going to last. And, and so, yeah, for me, it's just about, it's about work. It's about just staying busy and occupied and sticking to my routine because, you know, no matter how bad it is, if I like ended up getting like, like, like fat, because I was, you know, just letting myself go and drinking and, and using, you know, unhealthy means in order for to cope with this, that would make me more depressed. And so, um, no, just, just getting to work. I don't even think I answered that question, John. No, that's, that's good. <laughs> I mean, that's what you put on your Rolex, uh, your latest Rolex. Exactly. Get to work. Get to work <laughs> exactly. Get to work. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'd, I'd say, uh, a really good place that people are familiar with their channel. I think another place that's underrated is the Tease channel because you do a, a weekly vlog where you talk more behind the scenes business and it's more a lot like this format, like very conversational. And that's where I definitely find myself going. And then also make sure subscribe to the new podcast because you actually did a whole Q&A uh, session where you did some really good stuff. You talked about your insecurities. You talked about you know reading and all that stuff. And I thought it was a really good episode. And so for more Air Marino, uh, it's pretty easy to find you on the internet. This uh, this week's uh, Tease vlog, I kind of got a little tangenty. Um, Cause I, I, there was a comment on my, um, on my Instagram yesterday, just for reference today, like you said, is April 2nd. Yesterday was April fools. And so I did this funny video talking about the, the, um, the inspiration for my new fragrance, um, hero being sex, sex Panther from, from, uh, the Anch from Anchorman. And somebody, um, commented about, you know, how dare me, I, how I should be ashamed of myself for pitching and trying to sell things during this time of crisis. And, um, and so it, like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it and 
it was it was something where I wanted to address it on on this on 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 the vlog. And so I I go into some um, yeah, it, it's how do you handle a situation like that? You know, I think there's a difference between being a predator or a predator and selling you know, hand sanitizer for $50. But I mean, this is a war. Everybody is fighting for their life. And I'm not going to apologize for a second to try to, you know, for me trying to keep my businesses going and alive that I've worked and killed myself in order to build. It's not like I'm saying, hey, buy this versus food. But, you know, it, and so it uh, it struck me though, because I realized that there is a, a you know, it is a fine line. I mean, where do you, I, I've never faced anything like this in terms of a global pandemic. And how do you how do you balance being sensitive to the fact that some real bad stuff is happening and still trying to you know maintain you know your business and and keep it afloat so that you don't have to go go under and and so we dive into that a little bit. Aaron, haven't you <laughs> learned your lesson that you're not funny after the movement watch video? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I can't do anything. Yeah, exactly. I'm not funny. Apparently, I, yeah, my sense of humor is not not the same as everybody else's. <laughs> the internet will pervert anything. That's true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you on, Aaron. Everybody should know where to find you. Definitely check out uh, the new podcast. It was top three business podcasts. I caught that on the charts the other day. Very cool. Keep up with your frequent uploads. All right, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. All right. I'll just stop it.